Hello, everybody. Connor Lestoka here. This is the first 372 pages we'll never get back of the year 2023. A futuristic-sounding one, isn't it, Mike? We are in the future, 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 future. <laughs> and yet, despite being in the future, I just uh, confession right away, moments ago, misidentified a photo you sent me, which mm. will it, it's relevant to what we're going to talk about today. So I'll, I'll bring it up now, and then yes. we'll get to it. Misidentified a photo of Willie Tanner <laughs> from the your beloved show, Alf. Alf, yes. The father from Alf, played by dearly departed Max Wright, going on four years now. Oh, we've, it's been that long without the world has, has been Max Wright free? I've lit 37 candles, one each month. Yes. Uh, but, you know, you identified him as... Uh, potentially the next-door neighbor on ALF, Trevor Achmonic. I did. Uh, I, I was just a guess based on uh, you. All the knowledge I have of ALF is from you. And so I guess I flipped a coin on whether it was a Tanner or an Achmonic. Yes. And I lost. Right. I lost. Yes. Humiliating yeah. defeat for me. <laughs> the two could not look more different. Uh, Willie Tanner, sort of that bookish... Uh, frustrated, you know, uh, English professor who gets frustrated at the uh, rowdy guys from Delta House type of guy. And Trevor Achmonic, I think, is more of the, the you know, coming over and as you're mowing your lawn, he's the guy that goes like, hey, you missed a spot there. <laughs> he's drinking a beer at 1130. So I'm going to have to look him up. Yeah, I, I think Willie Tanner's like, you know, if Bob Balaban had played him, do you yep. know that? Yep. Yeah, yeah. He could be just sort of little round glasses and a little bit bookish. Um, but I said, okay, let me look. What's his name? What's the first name? Trevor Achmonic. Trevor Achmonic. This better uh, immediately come up or this bit is going to be <laughs> death to us. Oh, there he is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to the uh, ALF wiki for okay. him. Okay. I, he looks sort of like a, uh, he, he could have been a, a Sopranos um, side goon a couple yes. of uh, decades later. So He was played by John LaMotta. So that's good. Yeah. And so we've just gathered today as this podcast to announce that we won't be doing any more episodes because of your failure to identify Willie Tanner. And I, I can't abide that. And um, yep, well, that's the so end. Long, everybody, it's been good run. Glad we had to wait till 2023. 20, but no, <laughs> enough is enough. And... No, the reason we were we were even discussing uh, Willie Tanner is because I sent you a picture of the author of this uh, next book we're going to read together, this first book of 2023, which, as you did the sort of echoey science fiction the future, 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 it ties into this uh, sort of theme that we're going here. Yeah, and, and if we say the name of this uh, um, Mr. Willie Tanner uh, wannabe, uh-huh. uh, I don't think that will help anyone <laughs> to go, oh, they're doing that book. Great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's got a good, obscure author name. It, uh, it, his name is Garrett P. Service, <laughs> S-E-R-V-I-S-S. Um, he's, it's, sort of, it's, it's, it's an old-timey name because he's an old-timey gent. He was... He was born in the mid-1800s and, and died in uh, 1929. And this picture I sent you, uh, you know, based on, <laughs> based on old people, this could easily be him at 80 or 35, I'm guessing. Yeah, exactly. This could, this could be like the prime of his life, and you, you wouldn't know. <laughs> I, I, two things to say about him. Uh, number one, Garrett P. Service sounds like 
you know, you're reading a spy novel and then you suddenly realize like, oh, that was just a scrambled name. That's his name is obviously it's, you know, Peter S. (laughs) Stag or something. (laughs) Yeah, that's why they have two, like three S's somehow in the word service. It's a Dan Brown Uh, anagram for North Dakota. Yeah, this is clearly an anagram. The other thing uh, is he probably got a big charge out of uh, Irene Idisley. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> uh, he was probably slapping a knee and, uh, you know, until the, the servants came in and then he coughed quietly and, <clears throat> sorry, I didn't mean to cause a ruckus. <laughs> I was just, just reading some, something quite, quite amusing. This is quite droll, the prose of this McKittrick Ross woman that's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> he's slapping his knee wearing uh, gloves. It's, uh, he's not wearing a hat in the picture we found, but he is wearing leather gloves, just sort of very... It looks like he's been told to uh, p- ca- pose casually, lighten up, but he's he's leaning on some sort of like industrial vice or something. Uh, it's probably the, the most relaxed he ever looked in his life as an 1800s guy. Right, and he, he was, you know, from the age, he was probably like, we're going to take a photo of you now, Mr. Service. Um <laughs> Uh, all right, I will stay still for seven and a half minutes. Yes, I know the drill. <laughs> I shall not smile. <laughs> I shan't twitch a muscle. I will affix my arm to a planted pole that's hidden behind my coat, and I shall stand here until the exposure is made. No, click. Oh, oh, all right. Wow. It's a photographer of the future. Future, future. <laughs> what an but- amazing modern world we live in. <laughs> But he was a uh, astronomer, I guess, and uh, he's been described as sort of like a man as serious as he looks in this picture. He uh, was sort of like a, a popular science, like a Carl Sagan or like Neil deGrasse of his time, in that he um, wrote articles about the cosmos, but with the intent of your average Joe being able to read and understand them. And he even got to the point where he like toured the U.S. for a couple years with Andrew Carnegie's backing doing like a, a popular road show where he would just present to people facts about, uh, you know, the solar system and, and planets and the cosmos. Dude, I went to that uh, Garrett P. Service talk the other night. <laughs> it was off the chain, man. <laughs> it was what yeah stoners would do before Laser Floyd. They would go, service is coming to town, man. They added a second show. <laughs> that is, uh, it is amazing. And he... Uh, it reminded me, though, you know, people would like flock to lectures like that, you know, because obviously there were no phones Nothing to, to do. Ca- yes, Candy Crush did not exist. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I read the book about uh, like the making of the Pan- Panama Canal. I don't know if you ever read that. One mm-hmm. of those weighty uh, history tomes. And uh, people would flock to uh, lectures about making canals. <laughs> Like, it was just like, oh, my God, they're thinking of doing another canal. Harry, get your checkbook and let's go down. <laughs> and they're all given by, I presume, a music man analog, too. Like, you know. I, yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, an engineer with, uh, you know, striped armbands on and uh, we're going to do a canal. How many people are going to die? A lot. A lot Woo! of people. By uh, mosquitoes and things like that, it's gonna be hell. So I don't know. I mean, you know, back in even back then, there was people had had figured a lot out about the you know way that you could predict uh, you know eclipses and planets, all that. Even you know, I think I feel like Neptune had probably just been discovered or Pluto in this guy's lifetime. So it, it's it's funny to laugh, but it's probably one of those things that people had like less wrong uh, ideas about 
than you know all the other you know people were still probably doing phrenology at this point in time um, yeah yeah so he was yeah he's he's pretty advanced and uh and pretty uh progressive in his uh in his views you know this this new science he was uh, doling out to the masses <laughs> but he wrote books what that were called uh like other worlds their nature possibilities and habitability in the light of the latest discoveries he wrote one called astronomy with an opera glass and uh but then after this sort of fame and stuff like that he did as any probably as any scientist wants to do is you know be like well my dream has always been to write um terrible pulp science fiction <laughs> right um so he he eventually turned his uh his uh focus to that and it was at the impetus of people wanting him to help them rip off hg wells which is a pretty fascinating development like hg wells wrote war of the worlds you know before it was a radio play and it was published in london in the late 1800s like mm-hmm. it, was, it was published like the exact same year as amanda mckittrick ross irony idsley sure i was like is this going to be the oldest book we've ever done in the podcast and it was like maybe one year after that that was written so it's like da but like more people probably read this in the current time than read um irene idsley so um but what they did was they took War of the Worlds, they published that in London, and I guess American papers were like, oh, this is pretty big, uh, we're just going to publish it ourselves. <laughs> they like just like ripped the whole thing off. Um, and they did as, I feel, I feel like this happened happens a lot, is like they were like, but Americans, uh, they, they wanted a, the American version of it. So they like stripped out a lot of the science that H.G. Wells put in, and they like, change some of the references to be American references and locations, which is a pretty funny, um, we, we've always been dumb kind of thing. It is funny because, uh, I was thinking of that the other day watching some, uh, I don't know, some Netflix show like a, uh, with a lot of locations and for American movies and American things, they'll, they'll show like the little clicker at the bottom. The camera will pan around London and it'll go click, 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 London, England for <laughs> for Americans. And I was told by a foreign person they don't do that. In oh, <laughs> it's just um, Americans need to know London. Oh, England. Okay, yeah. gotcha. All the right. guy's panicking. Which is so stupid. PBR can is shaking in his hand as he's wondering which London it might be. <laughs> yes. Uh, but so yeah, they 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 did all that, and then they were like, "Well, that was such a hit that we want to do a sequel to our." Uh, possibly pirated, possibly Wells just, you know, signed the wrong thing and gave them permission to do it. It's vague. Um, but then the Boston Post was like, hey, uh, Garrett Peace Service, you're, you know, women are throwing their underwear at you as you do these lectures. Uh, kids are saying, like, I want to grow up to be Garrett Peace Service. Uh, why don't you write the sequel to this? And that is what we're going to cover here next on 372 pages. It is his sequel to a sort of ripoff of War of the Worlds called uh, Edison's Conquest of Mars, which was also published uh, serially in the Boston Post. And then it became, you know, a, a book that everyone sort of forgot about then for another 50 years. And then it was reprinted. People rediscovered it. And it's just a very early, weird uh, science fiction novel by, uh, by Garrett P. Service. And um, I, presumably, I guess if it was serialized in the Boston Post, um, you know, all the luminaries of the day, like rushing down to get the paper, 
the, the next edition, the next chapter of Edison's Conquest of Mars is in the paper, honey. <laughs> Please, Ed- Edison's Conquest of Mars. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but that was they, they were sort of uh, they were banking on it, selling a bunch of papers, and uh, I, I don't think it was. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it was as poorly received as Irene Idisley, but it was. Uh, it, 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 I guess it probably hasn't aged as well as um, you know some of the other legendary science fiction of the time. His uh, predictions not as spot on as say uh, uh, you know an episode of Star Trek or something <laughs> where they're using communicators. They they made the phone the flip phone. They had it all over Star Trek. <laughs> um. It though it does have some like early science fiction like you know pioneering stuff into it. I'll read I'll read you the letter that an email that our the listener who recommended it sent to us, and this was back in the like innocent days of January 2020. So we do read these things, and this was uh, Perry sent this one in. He said, "Imagine if Lair the White Worm had a kid with Armada, with all of Klein's smug Mary Sue isms." and palling around with famous scientists of his time with Stoker's incomprehensible plotting and 19th century stodginess. So that sounds like a good mix. And yeah. he says, he said, he, this was the, the sort of plot, he says. He says, a global alliance coming together under the leadership of the world's most beloved inventor, Thomas Edison, along with basically every other famous scientist alive in 1898 to take the war to Mars. It has the first ever written concept of a spacesuit in all of sci-fi and invented a few other... Um, like sci-fi tropes and concepts before that. So, um, you know, d- does it does it do the spacesuit better than uh, other sci-fi books like 2001 or The Martian or something like that? It probably does not. But, hey, it was first. And, um, you know, in, in nerddom, that always gains uh, quite a bit of credit. Eh, can we can we be sure? Has everyone read everything that, like, who, <laughs> who, who did this first, you right. know, first to a spacesuit? I'll, I'll take it... Uh, I'll take it under advisement. We'll see. Yeah, and you know, if you can, if anyone out there finds a earlier recorded instance of a spacesuit, that's uh, we can we can break some news here on the podcast. I hope that this spacesuit, like something I uh, another thing I saw just the other day, when someone puts on a giant space helmet and then you're supposed to, like, I don't want to see something. You know, this is an actor. Why are you covering them with a giant helmet? Sure. And then they do the thing where they. There's a light around the interior of the eye screen that points at their face. Like, uh-huh. And you just go, wow, what, what would the purpose of that be? Shining a light at my face. Like, I, I don't, can, I, can I turn off the face light? Like, no, we can't see you. Well, maybe Garrett P. Service invented that as well. That's what I'm, I'm hoping that he, uh, you know can still describe the face of the people who put on the uh, space suits. If you predicted, and one day when you're adapting this for the silver screen, please make sure that the uh, Thomas Edison's face is lit up by a uh, glowing thing like around the edge of a Kindle, which I also invented as Garrett P. Service. And now uh, all the ladies rushing the front of the stage and throwing your brassieres at me. Please, please, please sit back down. <laughs> I am, as you would guess, a man in my early 30s from this photo, and so I will be able to attend you all backstage after this. But please, I must inform people uh, what my very educated mother is serving to complete the mnemonic device here, people. Uh, as a 32-year-old, I, of course, possess 11 teeth. So uh, <laughs> right. I'll show those off later backstage, too, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> So he was, I guess, in his, his, his mid-40s when he wrote this. Um, but yeah, we still don't know when that picture was taken. And what I found hilarious and fascinating was that um, this is a like genre of books 
like I'm sure, I'm sure it's like a sub sub genre, <laughs> but like it's a book starring Thomas Edison <laughs> were evidently like a huge deal for a while for like you know teenage boys in the way that like the Hardy Boys and stuff like that would be. They just wanted to read books about Thomas Edison, like solving problems and inventing things and like winning wars. Um, and it was the genre was called. Edisonade or Edi- an Edisonade. I have no idea how you actually say it. But wow. It, yeah, it says that it was sort of, I guess, came along and there was like a, a whole genre of Robinson Crusoe ripoffs that they called Robinsonades. I don't know where the aid comes from. It's very curious. <laughs> they were like juicing Robinson Crusoe. But um, it says it can be uh, understood to describe any story which features a young U.S. male inventor hero who uses ingenuity to extricate himself from tight spots and who, by doing so, saves himself from foreign oppressors. So it's sort of like Ragged Dick, um, you know, uh, penny novels where this this uh, inventor, I guess it wasn't always Thomas Edison, but uh, some some sort of entrepreneurial type. Uh, creates a tool or weapon that lets him save uh, America from uh, foreigners or evil scientists or aliens. So it's like, you know, spacemen of the, you know, late 60s, early 70s, Tom Mix uh, earlier than that, you know, just like a cowboy. Yes. <laughs> Thomas Edison. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's sort of like, um, you know, how just like Hercules was in all the movies from the 60s, I guess, because he was public domain or something. Yeah, we'll just we'll just call him. And I guess Edison has no... <laughs> There's no control over his estate. Well, I mean, I feel like he was dead for like a decade by the time this happened, right? I think I think he I think I looked it up and he died in like the uh, 1840s or something. But his estate can't protect. Oh no, his... I'm sorry, he was well alive. He died in the 1930s. Okay, yeah, I was going to say that. That seems early for. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I guess he was like uh, I don't know. I I guess it's cool. I mean. I mean, I guess there were just so many papers and stuff, you couldn't sue them all. He was probably too busy electrocuting elephants or something. Yeah, I uh, I think I read once that uh, uh, Franz Joseph Haydn, you know, he was he was under servitude to like this, the court of the Esterhazys. And he so he wrote just, you know, basically like, I want a symphony a week. <laughs> like, that's impossible. Well, I don't know. You figure it out. You're, you know, you're Haydn. <laughs> So he did it for, and he wrote like just like, like 110 symphonies or something. Wow. And then he finally somehow got out of the grip of the Esterhazys. And so he spent his last years just suing people who were ripping off his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> just like going to, uh, you know, finding out, are they publishing it in other countries? Well, can we sue them there? Like just trying to figure out early stuff. So it's just shocking to me that Edison hadn't also figured out like, I don't think they can use me as a character. <laughs> it's really bizarre. <laughs> I mean, maybe they uh, maybe they changed it. Maybe they put two N's on the end of Edison, like two S's at the end of service, and that was their uh, their their workaround. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Is there any analog? And uh, I mean, I guess back in the day when uh, they used to, they uh, reporters would go out west and they would just use real people who walked around and then they would just make up like comic books about them and send them back back east because they're like well they're not gonna find out they're not gonna <laughs> like go cowboys to the drugstore and, yeah like like uh, gunfighters and stuff they would just make up complete things about them and publish a wildly successful book out east that the person who was actually the, the star of the book had no idea <laughs> like you know you're a big star in uh, new york city like 
He's never going to find out. He's just like some dumbass gunfighter out west. There's, there's a whole uh, genre about you, about uh, you know Johnny Six Shooter Aid, it's called. <laughs> yes. I didn't see a dime from that. My uh, fourth grade uh, class play was The Electric Sunshine Man about Thomas Edison. Hmm? I, so I guess that maybe that I guess that couldn't maybe it was an Edison aid. I don't know. It was sort Edison of an autobi- odd? autobiographical. Yeah. Are, are we going to go with odd? We're going to go with odd. I'm, I just got to get it clear now. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Serenade. I, what, what is the root of the word? I, 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 I don't know. It, it the root of the word is Robinsonade. Robinson aid. Edisonalia, right? Isn't that wouldn't that be the more logical thing? <laughs> I, I, Adjacent I, to something is called an, an, an alia, right? Edison verse that might work. Okay, right. <laughs> Edison odd. I, that sounds strange too. I don't know. But uh, so the uh, the first ever uh, known uh, Edison odd was I, I sent you the picture. It's in that document. The Steam Man of the Prairies, which has yeah. an incredible cover. It's a uh, it's like a cover. It's a like an old west wagon that a young boy uh, is at the is at the helm of and uh, pulling it by the reins is like, it looks like TikTok, the man from uh, the Wizard of Oz, like sequels. It's this sort of steampunk guy wearing a Abraham Lincoln hat, like rotund, pulling this wagon behind him. So uh, I, I guess it's it, it's probably, you know, a, a early steampunk book. And I don't know if Thomas and Edison is in that or not, but it's, um, it's I guess someone, someone considers it the first Edison odd. Oh, yeah, I see. I just looked up the picture of it. Yeah, this uh, steam shooting out of the uh, top of his, uh, the metal man's hat there is nice, too. Yeah, yeah. It looks yeah. like he's, it looks like the uh, local uh, hooligans have just pranked him one more time, and so he's he's forced to shoot steam out of his hat and ears. He's the uh, monster from uh, uh, Monster's Christmas. Is that what the movie was we just did? Yes. The, the monster with his head was on fire the whole time. steaming for yes. perfect. <laughs> So that's uh, all right. Modest Monsters Christmas, technically an Edison aid. Yes. Uh, I just sent you, uh, by the way, a, a Spryer picture of, uh, if you'll just open that and. Oh, there he is. is yeah. Give your impression. Senior, senior, senior graduation photo. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He, he's a mustache, a stern look, you know, shoulders <laughs> turned three quarters to the side, <laughs> scolding all whippersnappers within miles of him. Oh, there, my clearly. God. His disdain for whippersnappers must be just enormous. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, after he did all these things, once I guess the the popularity of Edison's conquest of Mars, he sort of I don't know if he renounced or just realized that it was a lot easier to make your money uh, doing you know sci-fi pulp. So if you scroll down from that uh, steampunk steam man of uh, the prairie or whatever, it it shows the other types of books he was then writing, and it's just those ones that are like amazing stories. And then there's a picture of two like cockroach men. Um, escorting a, a human onto their ship and stuff like that. Oh, that stuff. Wow. That was October 1926. Incredible. That was early. Oh, stories by, okay, Wells, Jules Verne, Garrett P. Service. <laughs> Mom, it's out. The new yeah. Garrett P. Service. Amazing stories. It's like one of those concert venue uh, festival posters where it has the big names of like Beyonce and. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Radiohead, and then that has the very quickly goes to the smaller, smaller font names of people you haven't heard of. That that Garrett Server should be one of those, maybe not sharing top billing with Wells and Vernon. Right? Yeah, I do like the the picture below the the cockroach men mm-hmm. with the um, the little uh, you know Gila monster, whatever that you planaria find maybe yeah 
that you find on the side of your wall in San Diego doing the push-ups in the sun. <laughs> uh, he's like pointing a, a staff at some guy trapped in like a bathosphere or something, <laughs> threatening him with an evil look. It's a, it's a pretty good photo or a yeah. picture. Yeah, so it's not all, a photo. It's, yeah, well, you never know. Um, that could be the uh, that could be the villain of this book, I suppose. There are illustrations in the book too, which I sent you too. So the, the, very promising, based on that, what the uh, science fiction we're about to get in here looks like. It's essentially guys with normal bodies but enormous heads are the uh, Martians. I think he encounters here. Oh yeah, the, that's the Popeye guys. The guys uh-huh. with yeah, the uh, yeah, they're they're human adjacent. But yeah, that's that's pretty promising. So yeah, I think it's going to have it's. It, he essentially looks like he's a you know buttoned up, whippersnapping hating guy that's going to be writing. I think like what if James Tice uh, ran uh, wrote a science fiction book instead of a fantasy novel? Uh yeah, no, I uh, uh, I look forward to this. I do wonder if uh, he's going to have walnuts and uh, port or sherry. I can't. Yes, remember. I, th- I think it was fortified walnuts wine and port. Some... Yeah, yeah, um, okay. Yeah, I mean, if that says that, so that book was probably 15 years after this one, which is insane because it doesn't seem like anything should be older than that book. But <laughs> um, it, it'll be pretty fascinating to see the those that and Irene, which were both very much grounded in, um, you know, 1800s, even if Lair of the White Worm was 1900s. And uh, but this book is sort of forward looking. So I think it'll be fascinating to see what science fiction of this uh, period was like and, and what he what he got wrong and what he got right. I assume he's going to predict that we are all uh, flying to work or play in our own personal helicopters. I think so, yes. That was a prediction that was made pretty much every time you opened one of those popular science magazines or something. <laughs> and uh, yeah, robot butlers. I assume that there's some sort of uh, uh, you know accusation of lizard peopledom being thrown into here. I hope so. No. Will he? Uh, will he have predicted uh, as? Steve Jobs did that the uh, segways would change the very nature of cities and stuff like cities would be designed around segways <laughs> instead of just being dorky looking families with helmets on going uh, yep. going along waterways <laughs> and uh, I don't know would the aliens uh, present to them technology that uh, the Americans and Thomas Edison will be too foolish to understand, and the aliens will lament that they could have lived forever, eternity, and peace and happiness, but we were too selfish and squandered our one opportunity. God, I hope it turns into a manifesto, please. <laughs> At some point, very true. Yeah, will there be? Uh, where will there be uh, extensive breath holding underwater and jujitsu competitions? We never know. But, uh, Will there be any element of coziness at all? That's that's a good question. Coziness, C- cozy and... sci-fi. <laughs> huh? This There's guy, genre. This guy looks about to be the least cozy guy that could possibly ever existed. Coziness was he did not uh, he did not tarry any coziness in his circle. I don't know why you say I'm not cozy. I I like to curl up with a uh, an afghan on my knees. Like all young 28-year-olds. <laughs> In between my observations of uh, Neptune's uh, circuitity of the moon, I, I I must go back outside now to observe every 10 minutes. It is odd that he didn't, uh, maybe the, the non-hat wearing. That was we, shocking, yes. Which we note there is like, wow, he's really, uh, maybe that was his thing, like... I'm so forward-looking, I don't wear a hat. What are you going to do about it, huh? Yeah. 
an astronomer's coming to town to give a lecture. Bah, big deal. That's the only entertainment that there is. What's so special about him? He doesn't wear a hat. My God. Mary, get the children. Does he wear a high, starched white collar? Well, of course he does. Please. We're not barbarians. Yes. <laughs> is it scratchy? Scratchy as hell, of yes. course. It's dreadfully uncomfortable. It's, it uh, snaps onto his shirt. It's not attached to his shirt? No, that's many years off. He predicts that in his book. <laughs> oh. Well, you know, yeah. There's so I, I feel like the, uh, the last uh, couple books we did were, were quite modern, quite uh, of their time. So it's good to, to delve back into this well of yesteryear uh, um, for, for, for bits just like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's... It will be fun to see. Uh, yes, the predictions versus reality. I'm, I'm sure will be a, a highlight. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, it's not super long. It's it's longer than our cozies, but it's not. Uh, he didn't. It was being published on actual newsprint, so they had to they had to keep him to a word count in this thing. But uh, I think it'll be enough to get plenty of uh, of episodes out of. I look forward to it. I'm excited by yeah. this. And it's also free. You can get it at Project Gutenberg and uh, cheap paperback on Amazon from some weirdo who's probably printing it in the same book uh, size and format we know and love from all the other books we've done that have been like that. And that weird, like, slightly smaller than a 8.5 by 11 printer paper and probably has, like, yeah, career font in it. Yeah, the text sort of uh, with, with way too large a margins and the text is too <laughs> small. And the the typos and weird you know formatting is like really Just stuck that in there okay <laughs> yes um, but yeah we're doing uh, Edison's Conquest of Mars by Garrett P. Service and I think we'll read through the first five chapters for this uh, next episode um, we'll have to settle on a Garrett P. Service voice but I'm sure we'll <laughs> we've wor- we've workshopped it already I'm sure yeah. we'll get there so I'm I'm excited for that as well perfect all right uh, well thanks everybody thank you Perry for recommending this book three years ago and uh i I hope it it turns out well if not we will publish perry's uh contact information and you can let him have it 